This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey everyone, it's Lindsay Rhodes and I've got a new podcast, The NFL Road Show. Fun and kind of nerdy conversation about the NFL every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. I've got some amazing guests that are joining me. I'll be breaking the huddle with the top stories, previewing games. We'll get you set for the weekend fantasy with our Fantasy Friday episodes, and we'll answer some of your questions as well. So subscribe to the NFL Roadshow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Blue Wire. Kawhi Leonard is going to join the Clippers. Kawhi turns the corner for the win. Three on the way. Yes. Paul George nails it. Lou Williams for the win. Bingo. Yo, yo, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Clip and Roll. I'm your host, Justin Russo. I'm your other host, Farbed S. Nishiri. What do you, what? This podcast, yeah, all right. This podcast is being brought to you by Indeed, Bet Online, and Blue Wire. Today, we are joined by Shane Young from Forbes Sports. Shane, what the hell's going on, man? Not much. I'm just, I'm pleased to be on here for the first time. It's It's been a while. I've been listening to you guys for, uh, you know, separately and collectively for quite a while. I've followed you, Justin, for, for, for a few years now, but, uh, not much on my end, just trying to deal with this freaking 20-degree weather or 30-degree weather out here. I don't like it. Shane told me he always mutes all of your parts and only listens to my parts. <laughs> he listens to the role of the clip and roll. He clips you out. and just Listen, everybody liked the Blake. Very few liked the Chris. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Woo! <laughs> I might have to trade you in a little while, Farbod. <laughs> you know, is where we're going with this. Uh, nobody know. trades the Farbod. Right. I think I like uh, the Chris. I think I like Chris too much, though. Uh, I'll see. Ooh, them fighting words for you, Farbod. I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> um. So opening night is today, um, and it was announced that Marcus Morris Senior will be out. But before we get to that, on Monday, the Clippers announced a four-year contract extension with Luke Kennard. I mean, I guess when people saw the money, it was kind of like, whoa. Like, you know, I mean, the guy only played like 22, 23 games last season, but he gets four years, $64 million. He's 24 years old. He's only really played – if you want, if we really want to be honest, we're recording this on, on December 21st, 2020, and his last game was literally – a year ago today, as far as regular season basketball. So it's been a full year since he's played, but the Clippers liked what they saw enough in preseason and practice to give him a four year extension. What are, what are your guys' thoughts on that? I mean, it's, it's a pretty tradable contract is what for one, uh, two feels more like it's the, the contract. A lot of that hinges on his health and, I don't personally, I don't know how I feel about, you know, going down that route, but in terms of the medical staff, 
Um, but a lot of that hinges on his health because everybody knows he's good. Uh, Pistons fans, they know he's good. So it's not a matter of that. It's about what the va- the availability of him to me. Do you think his offensive upside warranted that contract? I do. Uh, with his age, like like if this was a case where he was 26 or 27, and then you could say like he, on the back end of that deal, he'd be in his 30s. You could probably question a lot more. Um, but from from where I'm looking at it, like I, I think this is his fourth year. I guess you can say, you know, he's had three and a half years so far, two and a half years so far. This will be his uh, fourth technical season um i think there's just a lot more to look forward to you know he may he had a massive jump in points last year i know points aren't the end all be all but like you know you could see growth from that end um not a guy that that is going to turn the ball over a lot very little turnover percentage uh for his career and and when you consider the role that Lou and, and others want him to play, like, you know, even even uh, Dwayne Casey in Detroit was going to get him to run a lot of point guard, a lot of uh, uh, two guard action where he was going to handle the ball and make decisions, you know, for someone that is not going to cough up that many turnovers. I think I think it's just a good fit within Lou's system, as you wrote about before. And, uh, you know, from where I look at it, 16 million a year. With only fifteen, uh, with only fifty-six million guaranteed, the other eight being incentive-based, I think it's just a play on his upside, but not that big of a gamble. Like you know, people were freaking out at the at the sixty-four million level or, or number, and I think they were doing that with the Marcus Morris deal as well, but not really understanding that the mid-level exception is nine point six, nine point seven million. So you know, that's six and a half million over the mid-level. I think that's fair for both Morris and for Kennard. So I'm not, it's not a big concern to me, uh, considering he is going to get better throughout this contract. Yeah. I, one of the interesting things, by the way, is several days ago, I want to say Friday, maybe Friday, Thursday or Friday, um, Ty Lu and Kawhi Leonard both had quotes on Luke Kennard. And one of the interesting quotes that came out of that was actually from Kawhi where he told, and this is exactly what he said, quote, I want him to just play his game, go out there, have fun, do what you do. And that's it. Don't come here and try to blend in, stand out, play your game. Well, $64 million certainly stands out in that locker room right about now. So the Clippers are going to need him to play his game. Um, it's a, it's a bet on his upside. It's a bet on his health. And going back to the, to the health aspect of this, you know, Ty Lue, in seemingly every media availability, raves about the sports science staff. Every time. So every, like, it's, it's like a daily occurrence, you know? So, look, they had to believe his health is good, or at least his knees are not as bad as Detroit thought or other teams might have thought if they were going to trade for him. So the Clippers are very comfortable with, with his health. And offensively... You know, Ty Lue likes him. The team seems to like him. The guys in the locker room seem to like him. Now, defensively, there are questions with him, but you're also not giving him $16 million a year, you know, on the defensive end. You're paying him that to be the successor to Lou Williams and the potential starter at point guard, maybe even as early as next season. Yeah, I mean, that's true. Um, You know, one one thing that I saw a lot of is, you know, just kind of like, picking all the bad defenders on the Clippers roster. Like, they, they, you know, Kennard's a bad defender. Lou Will's a bad defender. There's a lot of guys you can pick on a crunch time. Well, you know, 
like Lou and Kennard are not going to be both be out there when it's, you know, do or die time against the Lakers, Nuggets or, you know, Jazz, someone like that or Dallas. It's going to be one or neither. <laughs> so I think I think uh, all that's a little bit overblown. But I, I, I can see the criticism because of, you know, Kennard's health, as you said. But it, I, I think a lot of the times when you see, um, you know, all this all this backlash about the, the the number of the deal or the, just the contract figure itself. None of us, even, even us that cover the league or cover the team, none of us are privy to that, to, to the, to the medicals, to what the Clippers, to what Lawrence Frank and Michael Winger are looking at. And if they're seeing stuff that make them feel comfortable, I think you, they kind of deserve the benefit of the doubt until it goes wrong. Right. Yeah, I mean, you're not wrong. Like, it's a bank, like they're banking on his health and it could go bad. It is also a thing to just crap on everything the Clippers do right now. So, like, <laughs> it's just the cool thing to do, apparently, to crap on everything they do. And it's a loud, it's a loud group. So, it doesn't matter if they sign Paul George or let him walk. Somehow it's going to get criticized. It doesn't matter if they sign Luke Kennard or let him walk. Somehow they're going to get criticized. So like that portion, I don't really think warrants any listening to because it's just the cool thing to do right now. You know what's really interesting, by the way, about the Kennard deal? The average annual value is what his cap hold was going to be this upcoming offseason. Oh, really? Yeah, so his qualifying offer was like 7.52 million but his actual cap hold was like right around like just under 16 million oh okay yeah so it, there's not really a downside in that first year then okay yeah the, yeah the first year really doesn't impact the team as much so i mean maybe down the line if his health you know goes kaput and you know everything looks wonky like yeah that could be a bad deal but so could a lot of deals i mean you know marcus morris senior signed a 64 million the same deal that uh luke Kennard just signed and right now he's out for the season opener with right knee soreness and there's no telling how long he's going to be out. And by the way i do want to say this for anyone listening um first off whenever you're a team announces a guy out the day before a game just assume he's not playing for the next week it'll do wonders for your mental health I, I did want to ask you about something else on that Luke Kennard deal uh, because he was going to be restricted next year, which may, maybe went under the radar. It's not like he he could just walk. I mean, it, he'd be restricted free agent. I think um, I'm kind of curious, like, what do you all think would be his market? Let's just say he has a pretty good year. Um, nothing out of the ordinary. I Probably right around his scoring total from last year, a little bit less because he's playing with more higher usage guys in LA versus Detroit. Uh, and, and, and he holds up decently on defense and they make it to the conference finals and lose or something like that. Um, and, and restrictive free agency, do you think he would have netted somewhere around this or do you, or is, are the Clippers wrong for giving him this versus waiting until next summer to do it? So personally, I think in restricted free agency because more teams are going to have cap space next off season. And because the market already got crunched a little bit by Paul George resigning uh, and uh, what's it called? Um, LeBron already resigning Giannis already resigning. Like the market got just completely obliterated to, I think uh, Rudy Gobert also came to a contract extension. So like the market for free agents for next off season really cratered quite a bit. Like it's Kawhi and who knows after that. So Maybe the Clippers felt, hey, he might get a Joe Harris level deal, four years, $75 million, or Davis Bertans, who got $80 million. Like, you know, like you never know. 
Like yeah. Bertans was a restricted free agent and he gets 80 million from the wizards to return. So, I mean, if he has a great year, like if he replicates what he did last season, but over a full season with health, I think a team would, could give him, you know, 16 million, 18 million a year. Like it wouldn't shock me, not in this climate. Especially while everybody's getting paid right now. Shooting costs. Shooting does cost. That's the one thing that we found out about this past offseason is if you can shoot the basketball, you're going to make a ton of money. Oh, boy. It does feel like everyone got paid except Trez this offseason. And Serge. I mean, Serge really only got the MLE, too. Yeah. Yeah. I think someone was joking like they're they're just gonna have their kids shooting corner threes for the first 10 years of their life like <laughs> because they know you that might, it's gonna pay off in the long run you might as well i mean look never i mean ty Lu said it yesterday like the three ball is the biggest aspect of the game now and if you if you have guys on your team who shoot the hell out of the basketball not only are you a threat to win games, but those guys are going to get paid because they swing games just by being on the floor. Like we've seen the gravity, like obviously Steph Curry has gravity. Clay Thompson has it. Like Joe Harris has it. Burtowns has it. Like all these guys have this shooting uh, gravity. So like if you're able to shoot the ball, you're going to get paid. And in Luke Kennard's case, he's able to be a good enough ball handler and passer. I love the way he passes. I think, I think his passing surprises some guys on the team and they're still trying to get used to it. So um, I could see look, one of those plays where Nick Batum was like really surprised that Kennard got that pass through the lane and, and Batum missed the layup. <laughs> I mean, look, the, yeah, they, a lot of guys missed a lot of layups in preseason. Uh, there's the uh, pass from Lou in transition to Kevin Gelly against Utah where Kevin Gelly just blows the dunk, but it was a hell of a pass. <laughs> and uh, when I did my Kevin Gelly video, I was like, man, this dude just hustled all the way down the court. By the <laughs> way, I don't mean to go on a tangent real quick about Kevin Gelly. There's a play in that game. Uh, that completely floored me. Uh, it comes with about uh, 2.25 to go in the third quarter. Kevin Gelly begins on the far, uh, in the far corner, screens Lou Williams' man, and then sprints off a Luke Kennard screen in the paint, a cross screen in the paint against Gobert, comes out the other side in full sprint and screen and rolls with Lou against Ingles. I've never seen – like the fact that a big man was doing that is insane. Yeah, I mean, the the movement is is something that I, I you know we've asked Ty or you asked Ty a lot about it. Like, just just what's the focus on, in the preseason? Even though they took three big L's, it's like just the process and getting guys to move and not be stagnant. And I think that's I think Kawhi even touched on that to, to today as well. Like, you know, just just getting guys to rotate and to uh, not stand still, which is what haunted them, you know, later down the stretch in that nugget series. It's they're, they're building the habits now. And even a guy that's probably not going to get like a lot of minutes in the rotation and Cabigalli, like having him do that might, and I'm not saying it will, but it might set the tone for a lot of other guys on the roster as well. I, I feel like with Batum fans are either going to really like him or really hate him. It's going to be one of the extremes. Like either he is going to make a, a bunch of smart plays and fans are going to just be like, damn, like I'm a big fan of this guy or he's going to blow a bunch of layups and wide open threes and everyone's going to hate his guts. Which one are you picking, Farvad? I'm not picking anything yet, but that number <laughs> is a cursed number. On the He's 33, right? That's the number he has? Yes. That is a cursed number. That's all I'm going to say. Twenty twenty has already reshaped how we work, and it's almost over. 
Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site, according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. And now, Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. 73% of online job seekers in the United States are visiting Indeed each month, according to Comscore Total Visits. So it's clear Indeed can help you get the quality hire you need. That's why more than 3 million businesses worldwide use Indeed for hiring. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. Football is back in full swing. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure that you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. So it's opening night tonight, and unfortunately for the Clippers, Marcus Morris Sr. is out with knee soreness. Right knee soreness is what it was called. Um, it kind of took away some of the mystery because all we'd ever been told was knee soreness and we never knew what knee, but then they announced it on Monday that it was right knee soreness. Um, we don't know who's starting yet. However, in the preseason when Morris was out, it was Nicholas Batum, Farbot's favorite player. So I have no problem with Batum. I'm just saying, I'm saying that's my, that's my prediction for the year. It's going to be, there's going to be an extreme with him. One or the other. Is he the scapegoat this year? Ah, no, I don't think he's the scapegoat. But unfortunately for him, he's in the starting line. Well, the the thing is, he's in the starting lineup. So unfortunately for him, he's probably going to be the lowest contributor. If I had to guess in these first 10, uh, first 10 days, fair to assume Marcus is going to be out for the rest of the month. Uh, For these first 10 days, He's going to be the lowest contributor on that whole group of guys, and he will probably get the most crap from fans if they lose those big games, which they all start with, which are, you know, Lakers, Nuggets, Mavs. Yeah, that's probably going to be the case. I mean, if the Clippers lose any or all of those games, yeah, he's going to get scapegoated for no real reason, unless he really screws up. Then if he's the lowest contributor, yeah. Um, So let's talk about this then. With Marcus out, who would you, 
and I'll start with Shane. Who would you personally start at power forward on opening night tonight? Man, like there's not a lot of options. Someone, uh, someone pitched the idea. Like if you're, if you know you're going against Davis and Gasol, why not just throw Zoo and Ebok out there uh, together to try it out? And just, you know, the, Ty said that there could be instances where that happens and we know the Lakers are going to go deep in the playoffs. Why not get a look at get a look at it right now? Um, I think I would still go with uh, with Batum <clears throat> just because of his passing acumen. And I think that's something you need when you have Kawhi and PG out there coming off uh, off screens and off ball movement. So I, I think Batum would be my answer. But. You know, at the first game, uh, I think, who said it best? Was it Paul that said December 22nd is not going to be indicative of where we are? Yeah, I that think, was Paul. Uh, yeah, I think that's true. And why not? Why not go Ibaka uh, and Serge, or Ibaka and Zubats to see what you got in terms of the big to big and just match your minutes that way? You could do that. See, it's interesting because Zub- Zubats also said the same thing yesterday, where he or yesterday or two days ago, where he was like, you know, opening night's not going to tell us anything like, you know, we're, like there's more to it than that. So it's kind of interesting to hear the players like, OK, opening night really doesn't matter, guys. Like, come on. And I think Zubats also said something like, um, you know, it's a process. It's going to take a while. You know, it's not going to come out quickly. So it's interesting to kind of hear from the players like, all right, opening night really does not matter. Please no one freak yeah. out if we lose, you know. And look, maybe they're just geared up for like, hey, we could lose and who really cares? Like, you know, it's game one. Like, we don't really know anything beyond that. Yeah, I I would like to see Batum just because like it would give us more minutes with the uh, Montrez and Zubats match against each other. And I, I kind of want to see like 20 minutes of that, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that would that so be. excited to see Zubats versus Montrez. Like that's going to be such an interesting matchup because they talk so much trash to each other in the locker room last year. Like so much trash. If you, if you, didn't see the dynamic that they had like and you just walked in there for the first time you would have thought they didn't like each other but it was always fun and i remember one specific time sir uh trez says to zoo i'm gonna put your number on your forehead you're lucky i don't go against you this year and zoo said remember when i was on the lakers and i beat you and then trez like yeah but let's try that shit now so they like I've been um, waiting to see if he's gonna put Zoo's number on his forehead. That's I'm I'm very excited. And I think I think Zoo is very excited too. It's gonna be a very interesting game from the standpoint of this is the only time these teams play in the first half of the schedule. I noticed that. I was kind of shell shocked by it. <laughs> Good. I mean, they put them on opening night and nowhere else. And then you start looking through the Clippers schedule. It's like, okay, well, they're done with Utah by February 19th. They're done with Sacramento by February 7th, which is a divisional opponent. But then like, it's crazy that it's like they're, they only played the Lakers once. And it makes me wonder if the league was kind of waiting to just give those matchups at the end in case they matter for like actual seating or in case, you know, the COVID- league. The league hopes fans are going to be allowed in the second half of the season. But I I know some people in L.A. public health and there is a very low chance of that happening. But the league is hoping that. I also wonder if the league was, you know, kind of wary of like if COVID continues to do what it's doing right now, that, you know, you don't want to run the risk of of a team 
or a matchup, I should say, of like Clippers Lakers getting postponed in the first half and then having to make it up so quickly in the second half, like back to back to back kind of. So I don't know. I mean, it's going to be interesting. Also, this was probably the only time all season that they figured the NBA, that is, that Clippers Lakers was for sure going to happen. So why not get it out the way now? And there's no concerns about resting right away. I mean, Correct. obviously, like you do, you do have Marcus out, but that's it because the Lakers have no injuries to report. So you know, LeBron, AD are not resting. You know, Kawhi, this is not a back to back. So you know he's playing. So I think it, it, I think it's going to make sense from a standpoint of opening night all the time. As long as these, as long as both LA teams are good, you're probably going to see it opening night every year. And and a lot of people are sick of it. Uh, to a, to a certain degree, <laughs> yeah. To a certain degree, I am as well. But I understand, like, it's still interesting. It, no matter how sick of it you are, you're still going to be amped up to, to watch that. I mean, it, it's, still, it's still the two best teams in the conference in the same building with arguably the top two stars in the NBA uh, That with players that have bad blood against each other. Like, there's just too many storylines to to just kind of ignore it. If, if like, it's not just like, it's not like just a regular, like, oh, let's just throw, let's just throw Clippers and Mavs together. Cause it's two fun teams and two, you know, like we're going to, we're going to have some good times with them. It's like, there's a real layered story behind Clippers and Lakers at this point. Yeah. It's uh look, I can't deny the matchup is enticing. But after last season of seeing on opening night, seeing it on Christmas Day, seeing it as the first preseason game in the bubble, or excuse me, the first seeding game in the bubble, then see it like it was literally all the time. They couldn't <laughs> yeah. stop doing it. It was like, oh, okay. Then they did it for the first game, first two games of preseason, and now the opening night. It's like, which I understand why they did it preseason. Don't get me wrong. Like, I yeah. get that. But it's just like, man, like, can we kind of give it a rest a little bit? And, you know, you look at the second half of the season, which is coming after March 4th, and it's like, obviously, there's no real major holidays around then. So, you know, there's, they're not going to set it up on a major holiday at that time, but it's going to be rather interesting. I'm sure they'll get a sun or a Sunday ABC game around that time. And, you know, who, who knows? It's going to, it is the most intoxicating matchup in the NBA for storylines. Also like primarily just because it's the two teams in LA, but then yeah. as you said, LeBron Kawhi, now Ty Lue added to the mix. You know, you got the Morris brothers against each other. Now Trez is over with the Lakers. Like, you know, Marcus Saul is now over from Toronto with the Lakers and Sergi Baca went to join Kawhi, you know, from the Toronto. Like it's like all these little subtle storylines entwined together. And I get why it's so intoxicating and, and interesting but man, I just wish it wasn't always opening night at this point. Could have went with Doc. Could have had Philly come out to LA or, or or LA go to Philly. Could have done something like that as well, just to shake things up. The the Doc PG beef is very it's very interesting to me. I I I still can't believe Doc said what he said. It was it was funny because when PG kept talking, everybody was it was interesting because like <laughs> When the Clippers collapsed, everybody was like, damn, like they didn't have any adjustments. That was bad coaching. And then as soon as PG admitted it, everyone's like, yeah, well, Doc's not the reason you hit the side of the backboard and completely absolved Doc of any blame. Then when Doc responded to PG, all of a sudden everybody turned on Doc and were like, damn, dude, you shouldn't have said anything. Like 
Doc's petty. And it, it's just such an interesting dynamic where like, literally they both keep losing by talking. It like does neither of them good, but it is entertaining. I just think uh, it's a familial thing for Doc at this point with Paul. I can see that. Yeah. I mean, I just think it is what it is. So, oh, well, you know, Doc's not here anymore. I kind of don't want to talk about I've talked about Doc so much in my <laughs> life that I'm good just moving on. I mean, the team moved on. He moved on by all by all means. Um, all right. So let's do this. Your prediction for opening night, who wins by how much and who's the leading scorer? If the Lakers win, it might be a blowout. Um, I think the smart, the the thing that's like kind of tough for me is because last season, the Clippers looked so bad during all the preseason, all of a sudden they just beat the Lakers opening night without Paul George. And it was like, Oh, I get like, cause going into opening night last year, the smart money was like, Clippers are going to lose. They have, they don't have Paul George. There's no way they're going to beat the Lakers. And then they won. So it's, it's, Kind of reminiscent to that to me, where it's like the smart money is to say the Lakers are going to win. Um, but screw it, I'll just say like Clippers by seven. Wow. Okay. I didn't even hear the fact you said Clippers. All right. Go, go ahead, Shane. Uh, man, like it, I, you know, if they had Marcus Morris it, and, and if he even had a few preseason games, we know he's been practicing correct, but, but we, if we've had preseason games to see, He'll mesh well with the other with the new additions. Um, I might say Clippers are more amped to take this, and they have more incentive. That, you know, even though December twenty second is not going to prove anything, they just have more motivation to come out and, and show people stuff. Um, I would say the Clippers, but uh, you know, ring night. How often do the ring receivers lose on on opening night? Um, it doesn't so happen. The last, so the last one to lose on opening night, just for reference. Uh, Golden State 2017. Oh, um, they lost to Houston at home 122 121. That's the last time a team lost on a ring night. Forgot about that one. Um, yeah, I think that if I remember correctly, that was KD had a shot to win at the buzzer and it was too late. I think he made it, but it was it was too late after the buzzer. But yeah, I would I would say Lakers by. You know, I'll say it's going to be close up until the last couple minutes and then they pull away. Lakers by 10, I'll say. All right. Um, Most teams on ring night struggle but still win. That's what I've come to find out. The last time a team really didn't struggle on ring night was the Cavs in 2016 because they got to play the Knicks. So that was easy. Um, I'll say the Lakers look a little bit uh malaise for a little while but pull it out by 12 i'll say the leading score is ad because i just don't think batum's going to be able to guard him it's yeah. it's going to be interesting it that means uh like marcus morris will literally go a whole year with the clippers without ever scoring a basket against the oh. lakers well he can't oh yeah yeah because this will be because this is the only time he would have played pre uh, prior to the trade deadline for me, like, like, he literally like, hasn't scored a single basket and it's going to be over a year. Like that dude is due for like a 30 point game. <laughs> Just for yeah. uh, speaking of Marcus, I'm not sure like if you, if you wanted to expand on him a little bit more, but I, I was remember, I did remember something because whenever we saw the knee soreness uh, 
pop up. What was that a couple of weeks ago when we found out about that or last week? Yeah. Um, I, I thought like I, I could have swore that he's been through a, a lot of the, the same situation or the same predicament before. And sure enough, like the 2019 first round, uh, I remember being in Indiana. So I was there for Pacers Celtics first round. And I, I remember Marcus was like day to day. Um, they, they, his availability wasn't known until the day of the game. And then I remember like in the scrum, all the reporters were asking him, I think Tim Bontemp just kept drilling him with questions like, you know, how's your knee feeling, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, he was just very passive, didn't want to go into it, but he said he was fine. He said he was taking it day by day and he, he wasn't sure if, uh, surgery was going to be a thing for the off season or not. So, but that what you know, and that was his right knee around that time. And I think, Justin, you described on Twitter that it was announced today that it was right knee, and we found out it was his, his right one that he's been going through pain now, right? Yes. Yeah. It, so he's had, like, right knee issues in the past, but that was, like, in the playoffs of 2019, and, it you know, it didn't really affect him much last year, so it, it might just be a thing, like, with the tendonitis where, you know, it, for some stretches of the year it hurts him, then, then he's perfectly fine the other stretches and then I, I did some digging around 2017-18 when he got to Boston and this was like October to December 2017 to be precise and he was going through left knee soreness then and he again it, he wasn't concerned it wasn't a situation where he thought it was going to be a long-term issue so it just seems like this is the deal with Marcus is is you know kind of tend to to 12 day stretches or 10 to 12 game stretches, I should say, of I've gone through knee soreness and it just happens to be his right knee now. So hopefully that's not indicative of things to come throughout the season and in that contract. So this is interesting. I just found this out, too. So October 2017, he has a sore right knee. November 2017 and December 2017, it's left knee. Then January 2018, it's left knee soreness. December 2018, he has a knee issue again. February and April 2019, he has another knee issue. And then April 8th, 2019, he is diagnosed with a right patellar tendinopathy. Um, so, yeah, this just seems like something he's just going to have to deal with. So, you know, it's tendinitis. It's patellar tendinitis. It's, yeah. you know, uh, uh, Luke Kennard has bilateral patellar tendinitis. So, like, this isn't... <laughs> Man, it's a team full of knee knee issues, isn't it? Yeah, Good Lord, the sport where you need them. <laughs> so, and, and I will say, like, although it sounds alarming, from like, it, he, I think you're correct too that he's only gonna he's not gonna miss just this game. It'll be a, a, a cautious thing where Ty and the and the staff doesn't want to put him out there until he's 100 percent ready to go. But I will say, like, in those playoffs, if I remember correctly, and I'm looking at his, his numbers now, just in case I forgot, but like. In in the 2019 playoffs, when he was going through some of those knee issues, he still shot 40 percent from 45 percent from three, um, was scoring pretty well on a permanent basis. Like you know, it didn't it didn't really affect his play. It just like affected the availability. So I think he'll be fine. It's just we have no idea of knowing right now because we don't know how bad. We like we literally haven't talked to him in quite a while, right? So like we just don't know. We don't know how bad it's affecting him. I can actually tell you the last time that that we talked to him. And in fact, the only time that we have talked to him. Yeah, he's it's when he said that uh, he's they're going to have to beat <laughs> Trez and Jamichael. <laughs> yeah, he's got a cool name, isn't it? 
De- yes, December 3rd is when it was because I asked him why he changed his jersey number to number eight. And and I I vividly by the way, shout out to Marcus Morris, first person who ever answered a question of mine in a media availability. So thank you, Marcus. Um but yeah, so December 3rd is the last time that we've actually talked to him. So we don't know if he's practiced since then or what. Now, there's been videos. Andrew Greif has tweeted out videos from pregame of him working on little post-ups and stuff. But as we as we mentioned, like that's that's minimal contact. He's not going full contact. And Brian yeah. Seaman on the broadcast against Utah said he's doing non-contact stuff. So he's not going to play until he's cleared for contact and he has to practice five on five full contact before he can play. And if he's being ruled out a full day in advance, just assume you're not going to see him the rest of this month and maybe not until maybe the middle of January. That's a step on up. Come on, Nick. Expecting to be out for a while. Yeah. I mean, but also that's the other thing, right? Opening night, the first couple of weeks, they don't matter as much. Yes, wins and losses do matter. I'm not saying wins and losses don't matter. But on the grand scheme of things, you don't care that he's missing this game or the next couple games. You care if he's going to miss games in you know May, June, July, however long the postseason goes on for. So I'm willing to give up games here for games on the back end with him actually playing. I'm there too. That that's where I'm at. I, it's a long term play, and, and you know, it, whenever we do see Marcus Morris on the court, if if it, if he looks fine and he looks the same as he did in the playoffs, which another quick aside, he was really freaking good in the playoffs, and I think so I, I think a lot of people have to go back and watch that to to not just you know not let their opinions of Marcus Morris from the regular season. Uh, when he was with the Clippers for what was it, eight, 12 to eighteen games, something like that. Like, yeah, like you know, his numbers, games. yeah, his numbers were not good in that stretch, but in the playoffs, he he did his job. So I think uh, if he looks like that, Marcus Morris, then all of this is just water under the bridge. But if it if it's you know where he's struggling on defense, can't really stick with guys, and and then he has to sit out another game or two after that, then yeah, that's when you can start really uh, being concerned about it. All right, let's play a fun game. Who's the one Clipper on this team for each of you that you are most excited about to watch this season? Farbaugh, go. And say the question again. It cut off a little bit for me. Sorry. Who's the one Clipper this season that you were the most excited to see this season? I said this season like three times, but you know <laughs> what I mean. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know who I'm most excited to see, but I think I'm most intrigued to see Paul George. I think. He's got more pressure on him than pretty much any player in the NBA at this point. Okay, that's good. Shane? Uh, Reggie Jackson. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I ain't going Reggie Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> no, I got to uh, say, Reggie, Reggie's a very nice guy. Yeah, he is pretty cool. Uh, a lot of his Detroit people love him too. Um, I will say I'm just going to go like, you know, I'm not going to be boring with it. I'm going to go different with it. Um I think Patrick Beverly, because he he we've always known that he's a good three point shooter. We always we've always known that he's a good defender or a great defender, and he's rowdy and feisty. But like I think now, like it is a big test for him as he's getting a little bit older. Can he stay on the floor more? Uh, we know his we know his vocal leadership. 
can that expand? Can that get even better? Can that get more uh, helpful for the team? You know, without Trez, without all these other guys with with personalities, can he be the one that steps in and uh, and really gets them to rally behind him? And it, more so, just his availability and how they're going to have him play this year, because a lot of the you know a lot of the Clippers criticism and needs have stemmed from needing better point guard play and more playmaking. And we know that like he's he he's kind of at a ceiling on, from that. I, I think he could still improve in certain ways, but it's he's not ever going to be this pure point guard that people you know like to like to talk about. So I, I just want to see if he makes any little adjustments to how he plays this year, or if Ty Lue puts him in different places, and just if that you know if, if the forty two percent forty three percent catch and shoot number on wide open shots if that can continue or or just go a, a couple notches higher. Um, I wouldn't expect that. I expect to, it to be where it's at. But yeah, just can he play a whole season? And when he's on the floor with Kawhi Leonard, we know the numbers are staggering good. Like we know they're they're elite in terms of offense and defensive rating. So yeah, just kind of watching his health this year. As a quick aside to Pat Bev, I want to say two things. Number one, I've been really impressed with his ability to pick up the system because there's been time now granted it's preseason, but he's made really good reads um, in pick and pop to surge and at attacking closeouts to create more around the rim for either himself or others. And I think that's something he needed to do more of. The other thing is if they are really going to run the triangle every now and then, I think he's the perfect point guard for that because yeah. it doesn't require some crazy passing ability. It just requires a point guard who knows how to get to his spot and be a good shooter. You know, Derek Fisher did it for years, you know, and I'm not trying to take away from Derek Fisher, but like it's a similar role to what Beverly could fill. So I'm very intrigued for him from that point of view. My most excited player, and I'm going to go a little bit off the wall here. This, this is probably going to be weird, but Lou Williams, because this is now his 16th season preseason. He shot the ball crazy. Well, um, I think he made like 11 or 12 of his first 12 or 13. Shots. Like he missed like one of his first 13 or something. It was crazy. Um, now, obviously that's not going to keep up for the season. However, I'm interested to see is in how he is utilized with a ball handler, like Luke Kennard next to him, who can take some of the weight off of Lou's shoulders and potentially a make it easier for Lou to just be the score that he can be and B maybe take some of the gravity away from him to create more driving lanes and things of that nature. Cause on the bench last season, there wasn't a lot besides him on the guard unit. And that was a problem. Now, this, and by the way, I don't mean that as like a slight to Landry Shamit, but Landry isn't the ball handler that Luke Kennard is. And I love Landry. Landry was a cool dude hell of a shooter but Luke Kennard is a better playmaker you know better at attacking closeouts better finisher around the rim all these things and I think that guy next to Lou takes some of the burden off of him and I'm really interested and excited to see what Lou can do now obviously there's the defensive question marks but maybe the defense isn't that big of a problem if the Clippers go zone as much as they've talked about potentially doing under Dan Craig so who knows yeah, I, I'm in full agreement on on the Lou points there, and and I think another thing that uh, about Lou that kind of is going under the radar is although Trez 
was perfect for him. And, you know, they, they, they just tore up bench units. I mean, it was it, their offensive efficiency was, was through the roof. Although Trez was a perfect partner for him, like Zoo gets him more space, right? Like Zoo gets him a little bit more mid-range space, a little bit more uh, equity to work with. And I think like, you know, we might see uptick and lose efficiency uh, just from jump shots. Like I'm obviously, I think the days of him getting straight to the rim, as he mentioned the other day, those are almost over so it's like you know how can you get him more space on those fading left shots or on those uh you know right uh, uh, right side jump shots like i think he's going to be a mid-range uh, artist this year more than he has been in the past yeah zubat screens are like perfect for him um yeah. i did a video of, of it uh after the second preseason game the space that zubats was generating for him just off of screen and roll action was absurd and I did think it was interesting. You mentioned it, you know, because I asked him the other day, like how the, the way that the league has evolved, like how has he evolved along with it? And he's right. Like the bigs now can shoot. So it gives people a little bit more space. And he's become such a good mid-range shooter that that's now like his comfort zone. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really interested to see him and Zubats together. I think that's the other thing that like hasn't been talked about enough is I guess we can just touch on it and then we'll be done is, you know, Zoo's going to be the bench guy now, the bench big. And Serge Ibaka, for being the starter, there's no telling how, how much Ibaka is going to play. Like, Ibaka played 27 minutes a game last season. Like, it's not like he was playing 32, 33, 34 minutes a game. He actually played one fewer minute per game than Trez did. So, you know, you're looking at a guy like Zoo. Zoo might see an actual uptick in minutes. Like, maybe Zoo, maybe Ibaka doesn't play 27. Maybe he plays 25, 26, but that's still, you know, 23 you know, 22, 23 minutes a game for Zubats, which is an uptick for him from last season where he only played 18. But the thing with Zubats that's interesting, and Farron, I've kind of touched on this, you know, a little bit uh, before, is I'm actually okay with him off the bench now. Before, I was kind of like, I'm not sure. But the more I dove into it, I liked it because, number one, how many true seven-footers are coming off the bench that could actually compete with him? Not many, if any. I think the only one really might be Derek Favors at this point. And although Favors isn't seven feet, but you know what I mean. Um, the other thing is when you when you think about Zubots and you think about the bench lineup, the bench lineups, especially with the guards, were sieves. They would give up so many like uncontested shots around the rim because Trez wasn't a great rim protector or at least not a great rim deterrent. And the guards would just get blown by. But Zubats is a better rim protector. And I think because of the way that the coaching staff has talked about him, the, you know, Ty, Ty Luce said, you know, a while back, like, Zoo basically understands where everybody is supposed to be on the court. So he's like a quarterback. He basically he has the mind of a point guard as a center. Like, he knows where everybody's supposed to be. So having that guy off the bench with those guards helping them defensively, you know, I, I think – Categorically, I think that's a good move. I think the communication level is easier for them. You know, Lou and Zoo have played together. You're not incorporating Ibaka onto this unit, trying to get them all on the same page. It's a little bit more of a seamless fit, and you can kind of just fit Ibaka in with the starters, and they'll be fine. But Zubats with the bench, I think, will be good just because of where he is as a player on both ends, both as a screener, a roller, and as a defender. So... You know, the more I looked at it, I'm cool with it. That's that's kind of where I stand on it. I don't think I like it. 
still. I mean, I still have to see how it looks in the regular season because really doesn't mean anything in the playoffs. But it's like they have to do so like they're the way it seems is like they have to do so much work on the offense and defense. Like they're reinventing everything, right? They they have a new starting lineup, a new bench lineup, running sets of the triangle. Like it just seems like everything is completely shuffled. And in a shortened season, it's like, dude, you guys really don't have that much time for this. And you're not even healthy. Like the Clippers aren't even healthy enough to, to run a bunch of the stuff that they want to do last year with the same coach. It just seems like their starting lineup was never the issue. Like I don't, to me, it's like, what, what is there to fix in that wheel? Now we are reinventing an entire wheel that didn't need fixing. And I don't know if the bench, like, I mean, it, a lot of zoo is just going to be con- contingent on Lou. It feels like, cause otherwise he's just going to get wasted. Cause it's like, cause from what I see in the preseason, the bench was just everybody hoisting a bunch of threes and you have a big man in there and the way a three ball gets rebounded is it just flies around. So you're just kind of wasting zoo's interior presence as the ball's just jumping around all over the place from the three ball. It's it, it, to me, it's like, I need to see more, but it felt like he was getting wasted on the bench. Like they literally didn't give him the ball once the entire third quarter, uh, one of the preseason games. So I think that's something they're just going to be like Ty. Ty kept talking about they were just working through different kinds of stuff. So I think when, when now we get to the nuts and bolts of things, I think you're going to see more zoo action, especially in post ups where bench lineups are more prone to like um, like more switching action because you're trying not to get like killed defensively with bench lineups. So I think Zoo can take advantage of smaller players, especially in the role department. Now Lou's going to have to learn uh, Lou Williams. That is, I, I, God, I just realized now there's a Lou and a Lou and they're spelled differently. <laughs> so I got to actually yeah. clarify which one I'm talking about. Um, Lou Williams is going to have to learn. You can't just bounce past it like you could to Trez. You got to feed it a little higher to Zoo for him to catch. And that's the thing too is, I don't think the traffic around the rim is going to be that big of a deal for Zoo with the bench. And I actually think he's going to see an offensive uptick from this. And because of that, the other flip side of this is that bench unit is going to shoot some threes or they're at least going to be, you know, driving kickers and all this stuff. That also benefits Zoo because I think he's going to clean up the offensive glass. Really, He's already one of the best offensive rebounders in the league, if not the best statistically. So I think he's going to kill it on the glass off the bench. And that, that's actually what I really am looking forward to as well. Yeah. It, now, where I'm at on the issue is like it, it's not going to really um, – uh, alarm me until we see like what Farbaugh was talking about where he is getting wasted. So in, in the preseason, I understood what, like what, what the process was. They just wanted to, to try out everyone. And a lot of people got minutes that, that are not going to get actual, like meaningful minutes in the regular season. I don't think so. So we'll see. And it, something with Zubats is like, like a lot of people watch those preseason games and, you know, I, I, I would like to see Paul George, still have a lot of minutes with zoo. Cause I think like, although the, the Kawhi like and zoo, yeah, the, the Kawhi and zoo uh, pick and roll works well with those two. I think PG and zoo, I mean, PG's pick and roll passing stuff, it, you know, it, in the bubble, it was really good to zoo. And that's how kind of how zoo had a lot of those games, one against Dallas where he had a really monstrous game. So as long as Paul George is mixed in with those predominantly bench lineups, 
although it's not really considered a pinch lineup when you have two guys that started last year. But you, you know what I mean? Like, I think as long as PG can get a lot of run with Zoo and, and Lou, like Lou will, will, like Lou will, will as well. It's hard to say. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think they'll be fine. And, and Zoo off the bench, he, and hey, his demeanor, his attitude is is really good about it. Like he's upbeat about it. It's I, I was totally thinking it would be a situation where this dude is twenty three, um, twenty uh, yeah twenty three until March, that he would be like, okay, this is now my opportunity. It's my team, my my ability to start at center and uh, and, and really get thirty plus minutes. But hey, you know, you get Serge Ibaka in there, and you kind of just have to do what's better for the team. Yeah. Um... It's going to be a real interesting season. It's going to be a real interesting opening night. I can't wait for Patrick Patterson to start. Hey, didn't he do well opening night last year? He did well the first two games for some reason against Anthony Davis. <laughs> and Farbot and I have discussed this on the podcast and still can't understand how it happened, but it happened. You know, hey, he shot 43% from three in the preseason. If there's one thing that man could do, it's shoot threes. He might be this, <laughs> this team's Channing Fry. God, I remember one play specifically. I, this will be the last thing I say. I know I remember one play. Uh, in Miami, I was there watching it, and Pat Pat was in the or P Pat was in the corner, and Kawhi just zipped a laser to him in the left corner, and it was the prettiest pass Kawhi's had all year, I think, and and uh, and Patterson nailed it. He 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 was effective whenever they were down bodies, but you know whenever they're healthy, there's no point in having them out there. <laughs> yeah, he was very reliable. Like I couldn't. I would never want to start him, but it was like when you were forced to start him, like you you knew he wasn't the best person out there, but he it felt like he just did his job. Yeah, I mean, that's all you can ask for. I mean, he's a I mean this in no disrespectful ways. He's the consummate professional. Like he knows what his role is. He's not going to step on toes and he's just going to go out there and do the job, do his job to his best of his abilities. And it's all you could ask for out of a veteran guy. And I know last week, Farbaud, you and I talked about him. Like, I've seen that guy play since his freshman season at Kentucky, which makes me feel exceedingly old. But especially when I look at him as an NBA veteran, like, bench big, and it's like, man. But, like, that guy can shoot corner threes. You know, he's a reliable guy in the pick-and-pop game. We'll see. I mean, I don't think he starts. I'm just joking about that. But, look, opening night is tonight. We don't know what's going to happen. All three of us, well, two of the three of us picked the Lakers to win. Farbod, who is ever the optimist, picked the, picked the Clippers. <laughs> I said the but, smart money's on the Lakers, though. Yeah, and then you picked the Clippers, so so you did dumb <laughs> money. got to make the people happy. Y'all want to make the people happy. This isn't Lakers and roll. <laughs> <laughs> Do you feel good about the joke you just made? I feel terrific. Oh, that's a problem. Um Look, I, like I said, I don't know what's going to happen opening night. Um, I do want to tell people it is a very long season. Um, patience. Just have patience. Yeah. What you what you see on opening night is not going to be the finished product. If everything went like how opening night you know, went, then last season the Clippers were the, were the champions. And we're talking Without about – even needing Paul George, they'd be champions, apparently, if that's how opening night mattered. Yeah, without even needing Paul George, they would have been champions. Uh, can't wait to see what they do with him. Um, <laughs> you know, so look, just take it day by day, game by game. 
you know, it's a season unlike any other because who knows about COVID? You know, Adam Silver came out on Monday and talked about how the NBA is not going to jump the line for vaccinations, which is good. That's a very good I thing. I almost guarantee individual players will try to jump the line. Although I Absolutely. can tell you with confidence, a majority of the players do not care about COVID. They just care about missing time. I mean, yeah, <laughs> it's the NBA. They're players. They're bachelors. Some of them are bachelors. So, I mean, yeah. they just think they're superheroes and they, they don't care about getting sick. Wouldn't that be a nice life to live? <laughs> uh, just to not care if you got what sick. What about uh, the hot take of the week? Oh, oh yeah. Uh, so, Shane, last week, Farber brought us the hot take of the week segment. It doesn't Farber. have to be basketball related. It could be about anything. About, about anything? Yeah. About literally anything. Well, I mean, for, instance, for instance, last week... Farba, what was your hot take again? I joked that Logan Paul would knock out Floyd Mayweather, but I forgot what my real one was. Your real one was Golden State would miss the playoffs. Yes. <laughs> that was your real one. Okay. My one from last week was F1 related. So that tells you the level of things that we can do. So okay. Farba's going to start us again. I'll, we'll give you a minute to, to think about what yours will be. Farba, go first. Um, Revenge of the Sith is way better than The Last Jedi. Revenge of the Sith is way better than The Last Jedi. Last Jedi is like the third worst Star Wars movie to me. I actually hated it. What was your worst Star Wars movie? Was it Attack? Yeah, probably. Probably. Yeah, because you, me, and Brian Seaman all agreed that Attack of the Clones was the worst Star Wars movie. That was the funniest. Like, dude, I, I love that he hates The Last Jedi, too. And Zoo hates The Last Jedi. Like, I love that I have... Because it seems like everybody on Twitter likes, like, being the artiste. And the artistes all love The Last Jedi. But, like, I love having my circle of Brian and Zoo and some other people that just, like, absolutely hate it. I love how you were able to just name drop that. Brian and Zoo. Your close close compadres. Are they in your T-Mobile Fave 5? They might be. Okay. All right. You got them on speed dial probably is what it actually is. I, actually, I haven't used speed dial in a long time. I, that was really useful. Hold, on. hold on. Does anybody actually use speed dial anymore? No. Well, you, what you can do is put their name on the homepage of your phone and just tap it and it'll go to it. But like I did it with the first two iterations of my galaxy and then I never did it again. Wait hey, a second. Bar, get can an iPhone, please. Yeah, no thanks, dude. Wait, can you do that on the iPhone? Like put a contact on the thing and just like tap it? I'm sure you have to. I'm sure I you mean, can. that would require having a good phone, but apparently. Oh, okay. God. All right. Anyways, <laughs> what'll be my, what'll be my hot take? Um, Oh man, I'm trying to think. I don't know. Shane, do you have a hot take? Cause I'm trying to think of one. I, I got something that I've been chewing on for a while. That's not, it's not hot. Cause I think it for, for you guys, it would be more universally understood, but I think a lot of other fans of this particular sport would not agree. Go ahead. All right, go ahead. You got this. I think Kurt Angle is wildly underrated and one of the greatest yes. of all time. Yes. Uh, I actually talked to a very, very, very well-known wrestler, which I can't tell you who it is. <laughs> and he, we had a conversation about this off the record where it was like, because I said the same thing. I was like, Kurt Angle should be in a lot of people's uh, Mount Top Rushmore. 10, I think, yeah. Well, Mount uh, Rushmore. Rusev, he's actually in Rusev's Mount Rushmore. He's one of Rusev's favorite of all time. But this Ooh, wrestler, yeah. and it's not Rusev that said it, but it is one of the greatest ever, said he thinks Kurt's legacy is actually, in a weird way, a bit damaged by Eddie Guerrero passing away because oh. Eddie Guerrero's mysticism 
from passing away has just made him this like entity who was really good, but a lot of people didn't speak about in the way he did until afterwards. It made him like a really mystic figure and caught, and he's from the same era as Kurt. So like people just stopped talking about Kurt the way that they should have. That's a really interesting, I never looked at the viewpoint of it like that, that like Eddie's passing, uh, like hampered Kurt's legacy just because like Kurt probably got did like Kurt wasn't appreciated as much because of that. But at the end of the yeah. day, Kurt did spend more years in impact than he did in WWE and that'll, that'll ruin everything. So. That, that wow. is a, that's a crazy fact. Like I, I wouldn't have known that, you know, I'm, I'm a mild WWE fan, but I, for full disclosure, my first ever viewing experience was Armageddon 2000, the hell in the cell, Six way Rikishi, Kurt oh, Angle, Stone Cold. Yeah, where Undertaker broke his ankle. I, uh, I, th- I think yeah, that he, was against Mankind, wasn't it? No, no, he, he broke his foot in that. Yeah, he, okay. oh yeah, he, yeah, he. Well, I think he broke his ankle in the in the Armageddon Hell in a Cell. Oh wow! I think, he was, I think he was supposed to win it that night, but he was on the cage, and he's the one who threw Rikishi off into the uh, yeah. into the truck. And I think he broke his ankle and he couldn't make it back down the cage. Oh so they God. kind of like threw together the end in Kurt one. That's crazy. Like I did, uh, you, you learn something every day, but yeah, I, you know, Kurt won that night and it, you know, one of my longtime friends got me into it. He, he brought me over. I, w- I was six years old and he brought me over to watch that. And I was like, I'm hooked. And then from then on, it's, you know, it's different storylines you have leading up to WrestleMania 17, the best ever. And then you have you have other stuff going on, but Kurt's the champion. So, you know, I didn't see all of his career. And then I kind of just I zoned out of impact. I wasn't really dialed into that as much as other people were. But, you know, technically, like technical wrestling and just strength. I mean, you see the strength that dude put on towards the <laughs> towards the middle of his career and towards the end. Like, I think I just think he's underappreciated. He has no neck yeah. primarily because he had neck fusion, but he also still has no neck. Um, so my hot take might not even be that big of a hot take. It's video game related. Um, I don't think that call of duty Warzone should have skill batch skill based matchmaking. Um, <laughs> I'm tired of getting in the lobbies with the sweatiest of gamers, the guys <laughs> who are ju- guys and, and gals who are just out there trying to earn that twitch and youtube money for like 40 kill Warzone games like man i'm trying to chill i'm trying to have a good time with my friends i don't need to do all this crazy stuff to live i'm tired of it like get rid of (laughs) skill-based matchmaking not because i want to beat up on the on the lesser thens but because I would like a game or two where I'm actually able to just chill once every like six hours, you know, I and always joke, to, oh, man. I always joke like it, you get into these Call of Duty uh, lobbies and stuff and you're playing against people that are as dialed into that and as addicted to that as we are of watching games. So, like, imagine you yeah. who watches watches every Clipper game two or three times, right? Does a podcast, does a video breakdown, uh, you know, tens of me. Your whole day is consumed of Clipper stuff night and day. Like, that's how people are with Call of Duty, and I can't play against those people. I refuse. I can't do it. As someone who used to play Call of Duty competitively, actively competitively <laughs> about a decade ago, the level that people are at now drives me insane. 
<laughs> it should not be at the level. Of, people are doing things. I'm sorry. I don't know if it's because I aged and I'm a decade <laughs> older and my reaction time is not what it used to be. But seeing these people out here doing the crazy, I'm like, brother, I just need to go not do anything else other than play this game 12 hours a day to be as good as them in like four years. Does far by you're play? Making, you're, you're making the competitive side in me very sad just to hear this. Listen, I do well. I'm not saying I do poorly. I do well. But I would just like to have a break every now and then from the anxiety-riddled, adrenaline-rush, sweaty lobbies. No, I, I don't usually play shooters anymore, to be honest. Uh, yeah, you're I usually play fighting games. That was what I used to play professionally for a while. But then, like, yeah. uh, I don't really have the time for it anymore because, like, I used to – I mean, like, I used to literally sit in training mode and, like, practice one combo for <laughs> seven hours, like – until Good I could God. do it six times in a row without, without thinking. Up. Yeah. And without thinking, you know, like you're just reacting to it. Oh no. Cause like in Marvel vs. Capcom, they're like 100 hit combos. So it'd be like me, like practicing a 100 hit combo over and over until I could do it without dropping it. So it's <laughs> like, uh, that, like oh, I just didn't on. have the time hold anymore. On. Hold on. You would practice a 100 hit combo. Yeah. <laughs> Brother, I'm sorry. I don't know what else to say. That's a lot of time. It, would be, it was like, it was, I spent a lot of time playing fighting games. Like when I was like, I don't know, like, cause I was good at it when I was younger. Uh, like I knew how to do the fireballs and all this stuff when I was like five. But then like, I didn't get like competitively good or professionally good till I was like, I don't know, like 15. And then by the time I was 15, I got like second place in a tournament. And then like, uh then i started then i like really learned about it and like i would spend every day to the point where like when i used to have a girlfriend at the time she would just like fall asleep on me while i'm practicing <laughs> the same combo for like eight hours i don't it, blame her it was a it, it, it was funny because like it was such a weird hidden nerdy side of my life i remember like one time at college like we went to the we went to some like dance and it was like a super fratty dance and everybody was like huge tool bags and uh i go to this dance and then i come home and then i like i practiced a combo for like five hours and then went to a tournament the next day like <laughs> you know what's funny is i watched um does anybody here watch hbo real sports no no what is it okay so, uh they've been on for like 30 years it's like once a month uh brian gumble hosts it it's um like they examine like sports stories it's like a it's like a um a journalism uh, video thing. I, I'm going to explain it really poorly. Um, <laughs> think about, think about it like ESPN 30 for 30, but in like smaller 15 minute in, in, uh, increments and they profile different sports, different people in sports, different stories, stuff like that. They've done a, a whole host of things. Um, they, a couple months ago, so I was going through it on HBO max the other day. Cause they just came to Roku, which thank God finally. And um, I was going through some of the ones that I'd missed and one of the segments on there was about esports. These kids at like 15, 16 are unreal. Like so much more unreal than I ever could have like hoped in my life. And there was one kid on there who was a competitive gamer. And uh, Soledad O'Brien asked him, why don't you do competitive gaming anymore? And he said, it got to be too toxic. And I also was too old for it. She asked him how old he was. He said 20 and I got sad. 
I disagree with that statement though, because like the best Street Fighter player in the world is like 40 right now, and he's kicking everyone's ass, and he's like the Michael Jordan of Street Fighter. So like, and one of the best in America is like 38, and he has a wife and kid and a full time job. And fighting games have some crazy reflexes. So like, that's just a cop out in my opinion for having less time. You just don't spend your time the same way. Oh wow! Thank you, Kobe. <laughs> like we're not the same, you know what I mean? This man just dropped to do the ten thousand hours of of uh, practice, and you'll you'll get it done. No, I mean, like the best, <laughs> literally the best guy in Street Fighter right now in Japan is a guy who's been playing since he was fourteen, and he's like forty, and he's still whooping everybody's ass. Like the no, age I, thing I isn't as big of a thing, I think, in games. It's just you get older and you get over it, and then you're like, I don't want to deal with it. It's not necessarily the reactions. I think is just a cop out excuse because you can learn ways to adapt. Well, it's interesting because um, the top player in Warzone in terms of wins has like 2,600 Warzone wins, and he wins literally like 60 percent of the time. It's unreal. Um, he's, I believe, 29, and Nick Merckx is actually like 31. And he's really freaking good. And Tim, uh, Tim, the tap man's like, I believe the same age. So it's pretty crazy. Like you see these guys who, you know, they're third in their, you know, just, just, let's just say 30 and they're still like crazy good at these games. But I, th- I found it interesting because um, they were talking about the esports primarily just with like Fortnite. And those were like the 16, 17 year olds who were just like killing it. And I'm like, I'm watching them mash on a keyboard and I'm like, no, no, I can't do that. No, I'm good. Give me my controller, <laughs> and I'll be good. Yeah, that that game has a lot of money. That's the yeah. only thing. That's like that's why a lot of people got out of Street Fighter and stuff because there's just no real money in it compared to the Fortnites. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Um, Shane, where can everyone find your work and follow along? Oh, for sure. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at YoungMBA. Uh, if you're into the Instagram thing, it's just Shane Young MBA there. Uh, and then my work will be on Forbes sports kind of, kind of took a few months off just trying to reset the mind. A lot of, you know, the off season was, was quick. I mean, there was just a couple of days there of, of free agency signings and stuff. So we kind of been chilling out, but going to pick it up starting opening night tonight. So I guess you'd expect two or three things a week from me on my end. All right. Uh, Shane, first off, thank you for coming on and doing this. I know this ran, this is the longest <laughs> podcast we've ever done far yeah, I've been counting the minutes. Okay. All hey, right. It's your, Farbod, you're the one that went off on this fight night tangent here. No, yeah. it's like two minutes, bro. <laughs> That's two extra minutes you could have saved in your life, my friend. Listen, The Last Jedi sucks. Leave me alone. All right. You got anything else for the people, Farbod? Yeah. Violence isn't the answer, but sometimes it is. I, I hate you. You do this every time. All right. Um, folks, uh, I'll be returning later after the game with Garrett uh, because Farbod's going to be busy because he just does not think that we're actually worthy of his time and talent. So <laughs> Garrett and I will be back after the game. You, wait, have you even talked to Garrett before saying this? Yeah. Do you think I just said this without talking to him? Yeah, because you like to just say when we were going to go on without telling me. So That's Young true. Garrett. I did do that last week. Young Garrett. Shane knows. Yeah. Uh, so I'll be doing it with Garrett. Um, soon to be married Garrett. So, you know, um, we'll be on after the game to discuss whatever happens in the game, good or bad. We'll discuss it. Um, as always, everybody, please stay safe as 
I'm sure you're all aware there is a, still a pandemic happening. Um, wash your hands, social distance, wear your mask properly, please. Uh, that means over the nose. Um, and we will see you guys. Uh, Farbot will be back sometime next week if he hasn't been replaced by Shane permanently. <laughs> and then, you know, we'll just go from there. So everybody, thank you. Farbot, thank you. Shane, thank you. You know, can't can't thank Shane enough for do, hopping on and doing this. Um, we'll see you guys another time. Everybody say goodbye. Goodbye. I'm doing this. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in a new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series now streaming on Showtime.